listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program. Thank you for spending some time with us this hour on this Remembrance Day, a day to remember, to honor, and to reflect on the future. I will start with this. Don Cherry has done this nation a great service. He has forced us all to confront the often overlooked truth about who served, who fought, and who died for the way of life that we all take for granted. We pause today for any number of reasons, and the meaning of remembrance has changed over the years and over the decades. The history of November 11th is complicated. Of course, it begins in 1918 with the armistice at the 11th hour of the 11th day. But then after that, it became a banquet hosted by the king to honor veterans. Over the years, it has become an anti-war movement. In the interwar years, it was largely a pacifist movement. It can be bellicose. And today, thanks to an angry white man ranting, in this nation at least, we have a new reason to remember, and a reason to reconsider our preconceptions about who went to war and who sacrificed. This hour, we're going to talk more about Don Cherry and what he said, and whether or not the outrage is warranted, or whether this is a teachable moment. We're going to talk with sports writer Shireen Ahmed, who writes for the National Post, and says that Mr. Cherry should be fired, and that Don McLean should be shuffled off. We will talk to hockey parents about the hard truths of being a person of color at the rink. Not all racism comes from carnival barkers and custom suits. Sometimes it's quiet, unspoken, but in plain sight. And for Canadians of color who love the game, they talk about it being a regular occurrence. So much so, they don't even notice sometimes, or don't remark upon it, they certainly notice. We will talk to you this hour. Much has been said about sport, and hockey in particular. Is it a unifying force? Something that brings us together? Is that your experience with hockey and with your children? Or is it something more complicated? But let's not let the outrage of the moment, the cancel culture noise, drown out what this day is about at its best. It is a moment to say thank you. A personal thank you from your family and your experiences and for me, Today, I remember Joshua Carter, my great-grandfather, a gunner in the First World War, injured, serving in France. He came home. He never talked about it, but the family always said he was never the same. I remember Reginald Carter, my grandfather, who was in the Royal Canadian Air Force. Their service medals are framed, and they hang in my home proudly. Joshua Carter, in the photo, is on a big horse. 
And I always thought growing up, I knew that photo, and I thought, well, that was cool. There's my great-grandfather. And then when I had the picture framed, the historian that worked on it, because I had it done with someone who knew this sort of stuff, said, that's not his horse. That's an officer's horse. Your great-grandfather was not an officer. Probably off to the side, there's a long line of other men waiting to sit on that horse and have their picture taken. Who do you remember today? Important stories to tell today. Mahan Abde writes on globalnews.ca about the experience of black Canadians in the First World War. At first, black Canadians were not allowed to enlist. But by 1916, amid shortages, they were segregated into a battalion and given non-combat duties. The number 2 Construction Battalion became known as the Black Battalion. It was subject to protests and opposition from other soldiers. And once the war ended, soldiers returned home. They were honored. But the Black Battalion's efforts were not recognized until 1982. From the Canadian Encyclopedia, it is little known that Sikh Canadians served in the Canadian Army in the First World War. Ten such men have been found among the military records of the Great War, all volunteers to fight for a country that denied them the rights of citizenship. And from the Government of Canada website, during the First World War, thousands of Aboriginal people voluntarily enlisted in the Canadian military. The exact enlistment number is unknown, but it's estimated that over 4,000 Aboriginal people served in the Canadian forces during the conflict. It is time today to remember everyone who sacrificed and gave. Here is Premier Doug Ford at Queen's Park this morning and comments in his speech that any other Remembrance Day may have been passed over, not remarked upon, but today because of Don Cherry... These words have extra significance. We should remember that when these men and women were called to serve and defend Canada, they were not asked about their race, their religion, or politics. They were asked simply, are you ready to serve your country? And they were. And we will remember and honor them. Honor them and remember them we should, but I think the Premier there is not exactly right, was he? The race and the background of those who enlisted was certainly noticed at that time, but I don't take issue with that. I just pointed out that this is something that we're paying a lot more attention to this morning, aren't we? Because here, for example, is John Tory this morning at Old City Hall. In Toronto, it has been our blessing to be joined by many residents who have taken refuge from war and conflict and who have become our neighbors and our friends. They know all about sacrifice in the name of freedom and respect for human rights. That is John Tory speaking this morning outside Old City Hall in front of the cenotaph that stands there. You know, that cenotaph can teach us a thing or two about Remembrance Day because this day has been full of controversy, as I mentioned. It has changed over the years, and I'll tell you a quick story about that cenotaph. You should visit it if you get a chance and read what is inscribed there. That cenotaph was dedicated in 1925 outside of Old City Hall, and there was controversy before the monument was unveiled because the wording on the cenotaph was a simple four-word statement, quote, to all who served. 
And someone realized that the monument is, in fact, a cenotaph, a structure that, by its very definition, is a memorial to those who died and are buried elsewhere. And it was felt that to all who served was inappropriate in such a case. This caused controversy in 1925. After much discussion, the original inscription was removed. And it was replaced with with what's on there right now, which is, to our glorious dead. And I point that out because on this day of remembrance, of solemnity, when we are discussing Mr. Cherry and what he said, and we will have more to say on that, and what should be done, and the nature of apologies and what is an apology, and we will talk about hockey, And we will talk about quiet racism and what you should do if you heard somebody say something like what Mr. Cherry said. We will talk all about that. But today we must remember that this day has often been filled with controversy over who we are remembering and who we are commemorating. Perhaps today... For a moment, we forget about cancel culture and what should be done with Mr. Cherry and just remember that the sacrifices were global and that people of all colors, races, and creeds sacrificed to give us the country we have today. Welcome back to the program. Of course, we have breaking news outside, which is the snowstorm. And it is almost zero visibility as I look out the window here from Chorus Key. But it is much worse along the western corridor of the lakeshore in through Halton region. We will take you to Halton region shortly and update what's happening out that way, plus your calls on what you are seeing. So stand by for that and help us bring you the latest on what's going on right around the GTA in terms of the snowstorm. But we want to get back to the Don Cherry story, and you probably have heard it by now, but I think it is instructive as we discuss this and as we look at both Mr. Cherry's future and we talk about hockey and we talk about uh, racism and we talk about how to handle this kind of thing, I think it is important to go back to the source and play again what it is that was said on Coach's Corner. Here is Don Cherry. You people love, you, you they come here, whatever it is, you love our way of life, you love our milk and honey, at least you could pay a couple of bucks for poppies or something like that. You people. Shireen Ahmed writes in the National Post today, Mr. Cherry is using his own politicized agenda to vilify people of color and claim we are uncaring and disrespectful. His claims are not only untrue, but disingenuous and unpatriotic. His sidekick, Ron McLean, sat there, nodding quietly, affirming Cherry's comments. Mr. McLean allows his co-host to spew bigotry and is therefore complicit. I would be satisfied with Mr. Cherry being fired but even happier with both being replaced. Shireen Ahmed joins me on the line. Hi. Hi, Alan. Thank you for having me. You think Mr. Cherry should be fired? No question. 
I think he should be replaced. I think he should have been replaced 15 years ago. I mean, he's outdated. He, nobody relates to him except a very small segment of privileged folks who've been at the helm of hockey opining for too long. And I think he doesn't reflect the hockey community anymore, and that's the most unfortunate thing. I think there are two questions in there, though. I, I think you could say that he is irrelevant, or you can t- comment on his relevancy, but then we're talking specifically about what I just played in those words. I mean, it's important to keep in mind that there's an emerging hawking community and one that has tried to grow, which is the community I consider myself part of, one that really loves the game, that includes people and not just women's hockey and hockey in the fringes of different communities and racialized communities, but that's where hockey needs to go. He is an obstacle in that way, and his comments... I mean, people use the term divisive that I find incredibly irritating because it's it's bigotry, it's racism. And people, you know, my piece in the Globe and Mail specifically, it wasn't the National Post, it was my the Globe and Mail. And, you know, people are like, why are, he didn't actually say uh, refugees or immigrants, but he didn't have to. I mean, I don't think we can expect the Canadians are that stupid that won't understand what he was saying. No, he didn't specifically say you immigrants, but he didn't have to. His tone, his mannerisms, and it was very clear, you people come over here, what are we expecting? And they're not his drinking buddies that he's talking about. We know who he's talking about. And his, there's no place for that. If we want really hockey to grow to the potential it can, there's no place for Don Cherry anymore. Jagdish Mann is a media professional and a journalist who's based in Vancouver, and he wrote in the Toronto Star, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I have the right paper this time. He wrote, uh, quote, Don Cherry has, in his own clumsy way, revealed how fragile our social fabric can be when people we live among and share our lives with are not reflected in our history books. It's something that Canadian curriculums have sought to rectify in recent years through sidebars and texts that highlight the contributions of diverse Canadians and our Indigenous communities, yet much work remains to be done. I I wonder what you make of that. I think that's really important, too, and I love the way that he said Don Cherry clumsily, because that's, that's very true. He's not exactly graceful in his oration. But I think one of the things that's really key for me, too, is understanding when I unlearned what I had learned um, in school, I mean, I hadn't learned about the horrors of in residential schools until I was in high school, and I grew up in Nova Scotia, and I was very close to some. And these are things that were taught in, in, in like he said, in, in sidebars or, or, you know, just as addendums. But what really needs to happen is these very clear conversations about what, you know, historically happened and we don't talk about the fact that indigenous men fought in wars and came back and couldn't vote in this country they were given no social support there's a really fantastic article by duncan McHugh, who's an indigenous writer um in the cbc talking about why he was a beaded poppy and that honors his forefathers and what they gave i mean there's you know black canadians who gave their lives i mean there's the history of the negro leagues the hockey leagues and the maritimes that history that's something we'll never hear don cherry talk about but that is so important to the history of hockey and to the game moving forward and it's stuff we hardly ever hear about women's hockey this country boasts the most fantastic players in the world arguably i'm very biased but I think that there's no there's no room for those conversations to be had, and Don Cherry is literally stepping in the way of any positive momentum. I want to move to what uh, Ron McLean has said in the wake of this. You call for him to be 
just sort of move to the side, not perhaps as a punishment, but let's just move on from, you know, the, the commentators and the, and the commentary that we have now. I want to play this for you. Here is Ron mm-hmm. McLean. Catherine Denise, uh, it's, it's on a First Nation, uh, once said, uh, in any wrongdoing, the, the real key is recognition and acknowledgement. And I wanted to let you know uh, that first. Uh, and then you work on the relationship uh, so that it isn't a visit, so that something can be a, a unifying event. Uh, Idle No More was a great lesson to all of us. Last night was a really great lesson to Don and me. We were wrong, uh, and I sincerely apologize. And I wanted to thank you uh, for calling me and Don on that last night. I want to thank you for calling me and Don on that last night. That is Ron McLean. I'm speaking with Shireen Ahmed, who is a sports activist and a writer who has a piece in the Globe and Mail. Shireen, what did you make of that? It was, I mean, I was expecting to hear from Ron McLean before I heard from Don Cherry, who, as I was informed this morning, will not be apologizing and has refused to do so. I'm um, totally unsurprising. Um, Ron McLean spoke on behalf of Don Cherry, and I wish he hadn't done that. I wish I, I felt that his words were heartfelt. I really did. I felt that they were sincere. But at the same time, let's move forward. It's one thing for you to quote an Indigenous leader when it's convenient for you. But what does it really mean? Are you just picking and choosing parts from the tradition that talk about, you know, not silencing others? I mean, if we're really, and he's talking about idle no more. Where did idle no more end up in this country? It ended up terribly. Like, I mean, are the Indigenous communities that was meant to represent happy with the outcomes? No, not necessarily. So don't pick and choose just for a soundbite, Ron. I appreciate you feel bad. It wasn't a lesson because you and particularly Don Chair are not being held accountable at any standard. What is the repercussion that you're embarrassed? You stood there nodding and you gave a thumbs up sign as he was speaking. And, you know, his Ron McLean's a statement also said he wished he had handled himself differently. Yeah, so do I. I mean, I really wish you had because it would have showed some integrity, but I, you didn't choose that path. But so let, let, me, let me just weigh in here uh, on one part of this, because what Mr. McLean has said is that he didn't re- sort of realize what was being said. And, you know, I work in television <laughs> and I understand... I understand that there's sometimes people in your ear talking and sometimes you don't always listen. And is it possible that Mr. McLean really did not understand the gravity of what, in a very, as we've said, clumsy way that Don Cherry was saying? You know, it's it's possible. Everything is possible, Alan. But it's also possible that Ron McLean is so used to hearing this type of, you know, racism that it just went over his head i mean yes he's not a scribe is he the best with words i don't know but i'm not here to give the benefit of the doubt to the people that you know go on the side of racism that's not what i'm here for i'm here to literally offer support to people in the margins and that's not don cherry and it's not ron mclean are you if you're telling me that ron mclean sat beside don cherry and didn't feel impacted by what don cherry is saying then it's probably an intervention if we get those two apart because if Ron McLean can't recognize racism, if it's literally being shouted in his ear, I don't know what to tell you. I want to run through some of the statements that have come out in the wake of what Mr. Cherry has said. And as you've noted, uh, Don Cherry has not responded, and apparently, according <laughs> to the Toronto Sun, at least will not. Here is the NHL statement, quote, hockey is at its best when it brings people together, quote, goes on. The comments made last night were offensive and contrary to the values we believe in. And I will also add this one, and this one jumped out at me as being kind of ridiculous. Hockey Canada, quote, (laughs) the hockey community does not stand for the comments made last night. Hockey is Canada's game. It brings the country together. 
be it around television or local arenas, belonging and inclusivity are an integral part of the game, unquote. Are those real apologies? I don't think, I mean, it's not that people are out here looking for an apology. People want Don Cherry to recognize what he's done and apologize. Has he done that? No. We're not, I, when I say we, I, I'm going to speak for myself only, but I know I've heard from other friends and family members and community members from across many different communities, not out here waiting for an apology because this is a structural thing. This isn't just about one bad thing Don Cherry said. We're talking about systems of ingrained racism in this sport, systems that have excluded um, Indigenous and Black communities. They've excluded players of color. They Just yesterday, Alan, I heard a mom tell me on the phone that a nine-year-old player of South Asian descent was called the N-word by a team. Nine-year-old boys. I couldn't believe it. But then I was like, of course I can believe it. This is hockey. This is what's being festered and grown in the community. So it's a great thing for NHL to use choice words, but I don't see them fixing the problem. Do you see it as particular to hockey? I do. I mean, I see it across many sports because I I study many sports, but it's very particular to hockey because the base group and the ones still very much fundamentally in power are still white athletes, white coaches, white owners, presidents of organizations. There's less than 30 black men in the NHL. That's not a lot. That's not a lot at all. Over 700 players. And your perspective is, is it systemic ingrained racism that keeps people of color out of the game. Well, yeah, and it's it's a system that wasn't built to be exclusive. So just trying to build onto a frail system is not going to help. We really need to look at the crux. Who are the decision makers? Who are the people of the program? Are there any, you know, do we hire diversity consultants? And when I mean diversity, I don't just mean bringing in white women. I mean people of color, people from LGBTIQ communities, indigenous communities. Are we bringing them in to talk? How many out? You know, hockey players do we have, professional hockey players in the men's game? Let's talk about, is it really inclusive? Does it really represent all the communities we need it to? Like, do, like it's not difficult to look at this and see who holds power in this game. And the level of, you know, predominant whiteness in hockey is, is you know, it's, it's a lot. So it's great for Sportsnet to say this, to issue a statement, you know, Sportsnet apologized on behalf of what happened to everyone. Again, Sportsnet pays Don Cherry. They pay him. So how can they say it's not reflective of their, their values? They're footing the bill for this guy. And he, they're not, you know, sort of saying, okay, we, we realize how upset people are. This wasn't divisive, and I will reiterate that. It was racist. And, you know, skirting around that. It was xenophobic. That's what it was. But as long as you keep paying him to say things like that without any repercussions and with impunity, it does absolutely reflect your values. Shereen Ahmed is a sports activist and a writer who has a piece in the Globe and Mail about this. Thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you for having me, Ellen. Welcome back to the program. Over the course of almost 
goodness, almost 30 years in this business, I have covered many, many Remembrance Day ceremonies uh, as a journalist and as a reporter out live, and I have never, ever seen one as snowy as this. And I think we might break some records today. And it is bad in Toronto, but apparently it is worse to the west, especially in Halton region, where they have canceled school buses today, and the snow continues to come down. The appropriately named Sergeant Ryan Snow of the Halton Police joins me on the phone now. Sergeant, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm 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 good. I'm not as appropriately named, named as you, but what are you seeing where you are now? Well, you know, I'm actually westbound on Dundas in the city of Burlington, and uh, well, visibility is no more than about a kilometer uh, between what's coming out of the sky and off the road. It's uh, definitely cutting down on uh, ability to see clearly, and uh, the road condition itself is varying between flush-covered and track-bare in areas where the snow is drifting. And what have you seen in terms of collisions and accidents? Uh, it, there's always talk about, you know, the first one of the year is the worst because people forget how to drive. Is that true today? You know, so far I don't think there's been any uh, tremendous uptick. Um, I think with the schools closed uh, out here in Halton, what I'm also seeing, though, is there's uh, quite a reduced level of traffic density on the roadway right now. Uh, so giving people a little bit more room to maneuver, I think, is probably helping things. Um, but I anticipate that may change a little later on today when we have the typical afternoon rush hour. Yeah, so obviously this afternoon, especially with you know everybody trying to get home, maybe trying to get home a, a little bit earlier, what are you seeing in terms of snow removal? Does that seem to be going fairly well in the region today? You know, I'm actually uh, really impressed. Uh, you know, our, our area works, folks. Uh, I was actually out on the QEW earlier today, and as I mentioned, on Dundas now. And uh, the uh, service providers are doing a pretty good job. I know that there was a lot of uh, salting and brining of roadways yesterday in anticipation. So, uh, so far, so good. It's really just going to come down to individual driver behavior and the choices people are making about how they drive in this weather. And those that are cautious and leave a little bit of room to maneuver will uh, will get home safely. And are you seeing that cautious kind of driving where you are right now? Uh, you know what, like you said uh, about Remembrance Day, uh, you know, I, I've talked with a lot of folks and uh, given a lot of safety messages on winter driving. It resonates with some and others. It just doesn't. Um, you know, snow tires are, are a good aid in winter driving, but it doesn't replace common sense. Uh, I'm seeing some tailgating going on out here right now, actually. A uh, driver in front of me is right in the, right in the uh, rear of the car in front of him. Uh, so if that person has to brake for any sudden reason, uh, we're going to have a rear-ender, and a rear-end collision uh, results in a careless driving charge. So, you know, for those that are motivated by not having to pay money out of their pocket, slow down, create some additional space so that you can react to what's unfolding in front of you. You know, I think that is a great idea. A- appeal to the cheapness in people, especially men like myself. And that is a great way to appeal. Is just say, look, you'd save yourself a couple of bucks here. Well, you know what? Uh, you know, I mean, I've been policing for a long time, and uh, different people are motivated for different reasons. Uh, you know, for those that uh, don't want to potentially, you know, uh, seriously injure someone else on the roadway, that might be a good reason to slow down. For those that are motivated by, I need my license, I have to get to work, I don't want to face increased insurance rates, tickets, and the inconvenience of having to go to court, then uh, then so be it. Uh, at the end of the day, as long as that end result is the same, which is people recognize I need to slow down when the weather's like this, the, the, the big challenge that we continuously see is when you have that slush cover on the roadway, it basically it impacts the vehicle's ability to stay in contact with the roadway surface. So 
So when people break under those sorts of conditions, you're basically getting into a, a situation where you're going to have wheel lock, you're going to lose your ability to steer, and then at that point, physics is going to take you for the ride that you may not want to take. Uh, and eventually that normally ends up meaning hitting a ditch or hitting another car on the road. Sergeant Ryan Snow is with Halton Police, where it continues to snow hard right now and is expected to throughout the course of the day. Sergeant, thank you so much for being on the program. You're welcome. Have safe driving today. Welcome back to the program and a lot of people writing to me and reacting to the interview we had earlier in the program. Shireen Ahmed, a sports activist and a writer with a piece in the Globe and Mail, and she was talking about racism in hockey. And we want to get back to that and we want to get back to some of that. And some of your perspective as well. We'll open up the phone lines in a couple of minutes. But before we do that, we want to get a first-person response and a look at what's going on in the world of hockey. And I'm not talking about the professional side. I'm talking about, you know, moms and dads taking the little ones to the rink and what they hear and what they see. And for that, I'm pleased to welcome to the program again my producer, Sheba Siddiqui, who has a unique perspective and an introduction of her own. Happy to be here again, Alan. So let me give you a little bit of a background of myself before I introduce our next guest. Uh, I'm second-generation Canadian. I was born and raised in Ottawa. My parents immigrated from uh, from India in the 60s. So, I mean, they've been here a while. Uh, and they were well off. My mom was an obstetrician, my dad was an accountant, and they could afford to send my brother to hockey, which was, you know, a big... I mean, you, it's quite an expensive sport, as I now know with my four children. Um, and so I met a guy who grew up in Scarborough, was a basketball fan, knew nothing about hockey, went on to marry him. We had our four children. My two eldest are hockey obsessed. So I have my husband, Saad Juman, on the line, who is now a hockey dad. Hi, Saad. Hi. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Alan. Nice to be here. So, Saad, let me, let me ask you this, and Sheba, thank you for the introduction. Saad, you take your kids to hockey. That, uh, that you, you do that more than, than Sheba does? That you're the, the prime parent to take the kids to hockey? These days I am, and uh, I didn't know what I was signing up for, but yes, I am. All right, so now you come from a perspective as a basketball background. You didn't play hockey growing up. What's your experience as a man of color been going to rinks? You know, it's very similar as, I guess, my experiences of man of, as a man of color in business. I mean, at the rinks, at the little arenas that we go to, everybody's polite and hospitable, but I feel like I'm on, I'm on my own little island. Uh, not a lot of parents uh, necessarily talk to me or, or interact with me. And why do you think that might be? Is it just that you are of a minority and you don't look like them, that sort of thing? I think so. I mean, and, and you know, growing up for me, growing up in Scarborough, if I if I if I overhear some of the other dads, let's say on the weekends when I take my sons to play hockey, they're talking about when they used to play and what kind of player were you, and and it's a whole subculture that's that they're part of that they're aware of, and now it's brand new for me, and I'm learning the sport as my sons learn the sport for the first time. And for your sons, obviously, when they're playing, I mean. Uh, they, they, where did they get this love for it? Obviously, they didn't get get it from you. You're not a hockey obsessive. No, I think it's the you know perhaps the area of Toronto that they're growing up in. Um, it's hockey's a big 
big deal around here in this part of the, the GTA and from their mom. Their mom loves hockey. Love hockey. Uh, so I, I had to kind of roll along with it as well. <laughs> The, the thing that always, um, you know, I didn't grow up playing hockey uh, either, um, and I really didn't play a whole lot of organized sports, but when I go to see sports, when, you know, you, and this is obviously something that other people have noticed as well, when you go to a Leaf game, it is, by and large, monoculture. And then when you go to a Raptors game, I think it's a lot more representative of what you see in the city in, in terms of, you know, reflects the city itself. Do you sense that, uh, Saad? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we, we've gone to Leafs games before, and it's exactly as you've described in Raptors games as well. Um, I personally think, you know, I, I see the kids, you know, on the basketball side and other sports, and I look at it in hockey as well. You know, I, I believe that if all kids got an equal economic opportunity to get into the sport of hockey and see what a great sport it is, we might see how the landscape changes, you know, similar to, you know, what's happened perhaps in tennis and in other sports as well. Um, it, and is it a financial burden? Because, you know, I, I think for a lot of new Canadians, especially anybody who's struggling, I mean, the, the cost is just, it can be obscene for hockey. It's, it's absolutely financial. I mean, you know, I, I grew up in a single-parent home, you know, one of five kids. It, it just wasn't an option for me to play hockey. I mean, I wasn't even aware of how great the sport was. It was just a pair of basketball shoes, a basketball, and that's a sport you're going to play. And that's that's essentially what what happened. You know, I, I talk about I didn't play hockey as, as a kid because I was just terrible at skating, but I, I loved the game, and I would play a lot of ball hockey, both in Vancouver when I lived out there, and then I played a lot of ball hockey in leagues here. And, and I've always been, I have always been struck by the number of Indo-Canadian players who are unbelievable ball hockey players, and you talk to them, and they say, well, because I grew up loving the game, but there was just no way mom and dad were going to shell out to be able to play ice hockey. Absolutely. And also a goalie. I mean, our son is the top goalie in his division in the league. And, you know, often I hear the other dads talking about him and, you know, looking at his stats and things like that online. Uh, and I'm standing right there and they don't they don't talk to me necessarily about my own son, but they talk to each other about him. That is that is odd and, and must feel like you are really on an island all, all on your own. Yes, yes, it does. Yes, it does. I want to open up the lines here real quick, if we can, 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell. Are you a hockey parent? Do you experience this kind of thing? We don't have a whole lot of time left. What do you think needs to happen with hockey, Saad, to change things? I wish that there was some, maybe some, some private and even, even government funding to make it accessible to certain children in different areas. You know, if you're thinking of, I'm thinking of Scarborough, Rexdale, some of those other areas, um, just so it's accessible economically for kids to become, A, aware of the sport, and then start getting trained in how, how great it is. It's similar to what we see with basketball in the city over the last 25 years with the Toronto Raptors, right? There are a lot of developmental programs that have gone through throughout the city, and now we see the, the benefit of those. Earlier in the program, I was speaking to a sports activist and a writer who says it's because it's controlled by so many old white men at the top that there hasn't been the kind of outreach that we've seen with the NBA. Yes, I, I agree with you. And, and I'm not familiar with the amount of, I mean, it's, it's insane. I mean, to enroll your child in hockey, we had to submit our passports, our, our marriage contract. I mean, all of these other things have to go into these minor league hockey programs in order to just enroll your child in, in hockey. 
I want to go to the lines real quick and stay with Assad. This is uh, Cameron in Newmarket. Is there racism? Is hockey intrinsically uh, uh, racist or perhaps... Uh, I'm sorry, just go ahead to you, uh, Cameron, your thoughts. Yeah, uh, the financial part of it isn't race-related, race uh, necessarily. Uh, I'm white Canadian, and uh, when I was young, we didn't have money for me to play hockey. I was very good at it, and I eventually I do play now. But, but, is uh, there, uh, but are there barriers to people of color to play hockey, or to at least be accepted into the hockey, hockey culture? I would say that there are barriers, most definitely. Um, and I'm not saying that there isn't financial ones, but to say that it's only... Uh, so you're saying it's, it's more complicated than that. Cameron, i got to move it, on real quick. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Uh, Dave's in Hamilton. Uh, are there barriers to people of color playing the game? Go, Dave. We seem to have lost him. Uh, we're just out of time anyway, but I want to bring it back to uh, Saad. And, and your final thoughts uh, about your kids playing hockey. Obviously, your wife, she was a big hockey fan, so maybe you don't have a choice in the matter. But are you comfortable with your kids long-term in this sport? You know what? I, I, I am. For me, the way I look at it is what's the one activity each of them will choose that will get them their confidence I'm not necessarily looking for them to go to the NHL or the NBA or anything else like that, but what are they going to do that are going to get their confidence going at this young age? Sajuman is a hockey dad and is also partner to my producer, Sheba. Thank you so much for being on the program. You're most welcome. Thanks for having me. It has been an interesting hour of discussion, and I hope that you have learned something and that you think about things a little differently than you did before. And for that, perhaps at the end of the day, as I began this hour saying, we owe something to Don Cherry. Perhaps not a debt of gratitude, because Mr. Cherry has shown himself to once again be the intolerant uh, and outspoken disturber that I don't know if we need in this country anymore. That will be, however, for others to decide, and the story is not over yet. I don't think the television network, I don't think Sportsnet will do anything today. It is Remembrance Day, after all. But watch for it. Tomorrow, Wednesday, there will be more on this story. Thank you so much for spending the hour with me. My name is Alan Carter. 